different. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist. You can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about what's happening in the world today. We talk about where things are going and what we think the future is going to be like. And we're not afraid to take kind of a contrarian view. Our view is that if you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you, man? Well, I'm a, I'm a little wiped, um, a little tired <laughs> from my uh, kind of busy busy week on the road, but uh, feeling feeling good, feeling glad to be back home. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, I am not at home. I'm in San Antonio this week and uh, having, a, having a vacation with the family and having a great time. Uh, but if I sound a little different, it's because I actually use Skype to call in tonight. So hopefully that will work out fine. You're calling in on Skype. Now, we've, we've experimented with podcasting in the early days, did, did some uh, podcasting with Skype and found it less than uh, completely – Satisfactory. In, in, in fact, didn't, didn't we weren't we using Skype? Am I crazy? Or weren't we using Skype when we talked to Aubrey Degree? We sure were, and it it worked out pretty good. Uh, except that, you know, it seemed like uh, we were we were having a lot of echo problems, um, and and especially when we tried to record and everything. So anyway, by the way, we got Michael on the line as well. He just joined us, I believe. Is that you, Michael? It is. I have, a, uh, I have a nasty, stupid cold that's still going, and I just woke up. Okay. Cold. Well, they're the worst. Well, Michael, we appreciate you watching the chat room for us, uh, and you know, and, and joining us even even through the cold. Now, now are you asleep? are you asleep? Are you asleep because of the cold or because of the uh, antihistamines? Uh, I, there's something equivalent to the Fifth Amendment where you don't have to really confess your stupidity, and that's me now. Fair enough. Okay. All right. I think uh, you know. I understand if because uh, because I've been known to do like you know shooters of uh, Nyquil, right? Get a little salt on the rim and kind of get that going. Little uh, little lime after the fact, but uh, yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't always put you where you want to be. But that's fine because you know what? Uh, you're in the chat room, and and uh, if if you need to be slow in responding in the chat room, everyone will just think it's the server. That's right. I, I declined to comment. Fair enough. And it took him a minute to say that, too. <laughs> I noticed that uh, we have, uh, well, um, in, in addition to Michael Darling in the chat room, we've got Matt doing, and uh, Harvey's there as well, I believe. All right. Well, welcome to uh, welcome to all our chatters. And I guess that uh, that can take us pretty much to our first. Oh, wait, before we get to... Uh, before we get to uh, our first order of business, uh, I want to check in on movies because I don't think we t- discussed any movies last week. Is that right, or did we? I'm a little strange um, on what happened. Hmm. I, I, you know, I have not seen a movie this week uh, with all the traveling and everything, so I guess I'm a, a little poor on that. But um, the one thing I have watched video-wise here lately is uh, the opening ceremony of the Olympics, which was completely oh, Okay, awesome. well, before we go there, before we go there, because we want to uh, – come back around by way of the uh, coffee mug, I think, to that. But um, yeah. um, I did go to a movie, one of the big summer releases, uh, Mamma Mia. Okay. So right. I had that one to the list of great uh, uh, movie, summer movie movies, right? This is, the, this is the, the summer of all the great summer movies. This one, you know, I don't think you had mentioned that earlier, Stephen. I, I don't think you had said, hey, plus we got the film version of Mamma Mia coming out, so... <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, I guess I had uh, somehow I'd failed to mention that one. Um, huh? And I had an oversight on your part. <laughs> true, as as well as the fact that we we finally get to find out what James Bond sounds like singing. Boy, uh, and let me tell you, uh, not not uh, not worth the wait. Um, he. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what's funny about that is I was listening to one of these like entertainment this week shows this morning and uh, they were talking about that. I guess he did some movie. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it now. Like back in the eighties where he was singing, and um, after, and it was a complete bomb. 
and he came uh, he came on the air later. They they played this uh, video clip from him, audio clip from him saying, uh, "Pierce Brosnan, we're talking about." I should note. Um, yeah. I, I will never subject the public to that again. You will never have to worry about hearing me sing again. And uh, they, they, so they play that clip in connection with the fact that he's now in Mamma Mia. And uh, <laughs> and the announcer guy said, well, Pierce, all we can say is uh, about your singing, as a singer, you make a great James Bond. Okay, that's all we can say about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, he, he's, he's not uh, – uh, he's about as good as I am, okay, if you saw that uh, video clip of me that was uh, up on the uh, up on the speculist, anyone who saw that, I would put him I would put him up there at about that level. That's where Pierce Brosnan is the singer. However, <laughs> since we're on, since we're on the subject, yeah, you know, I just in all seriousness, probably not the kind of movie we normally talk about, Mamma Mia. But I did go see it, so I thought I'd throw it in. Since you know we've talked about chimps in space and stuff, although that I guess arguably has more of a speculist angle than than Mamma Mia does. In fact, if you hadn't mentioned James Bond, I, I don't see how there was any connection. Uh, for, for this movie at all. Uh, but what I was going to say was, um, you know, unless you're a huge ABBA fan, okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, or, yeah. or you're like a woman, okay? Or like, you know, married to a woman or something. I, You know, I. this is not a movie I would have picked on my own, I think, probably to go see. I guess that's my point. But that's fair enough. I, you know, I've, I've found myself in, in a number of movies that I would not have gone to on my own. Uh, and, you know, as, as a married it, man, you find yourself in that situation frequently, let's face it. And sometimes, and sometimes as a father, too. But, as um, a father, right, yeah. But either, either way, you're making points. Sometimes as a father, sometimes as a husband, by going to movies that, that's, you know, you wouldn't necessarily go to, so... It's, it's yeah. all for the points, um, and uh, I'll just say that one thing, you know, I totally forgot about some of those ABBA songs. You know, they start singing some of these songs, and it takes you back like 30 years, you know, go, geez, yeah, I sort of vaguely remember that song. So, so that was kind of interesting. And the other thing is, uh, as bad as Pierce Brosnan was, I, you know, he's not that bad. I mean, uh, you know, as less than thrilling as he was, Meryl Streep has got a heck of a set of pipes on her. She really carried a lot of that movie with her. Uh, with her Somehow that doesn't stuff. surprise me. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I, you know, she just, I don't know, sometimes you can kind of guess by speaking voice whether a person could sing or not. But Yeah, she's just uh, an incredibly talented person. Could have been a diva, I think. Could have been a Barbara Streisand or something had she chosen to. Glad she didn't. Glad she uh, chose the career path she did. But, uh, again, we've got the, you know, someday we'll peek into alternate universes and see the world where, Meryl Streep was, in fact, a big diva. And now I've brought it around to speculative material. But we've always got the parallel universe thing to fall back on. Okay, so let's talk about uh, our coffee mug competition. And I'm now calling this the Solve All the World's Problems Win a Coffee Mug competition that we were running over the last two weeks. And that was in connection with our show where we were talking about um, uh, not all the world's problems, but how we could solve some of the, some of the major problems facing the world. And we had asked our... Uh, listeners to contribute their ideas via uh, via the chat, via uh, calling in, and some. Uh, and I believe we also got comments left on the blog. So we've been we've been talking it over. We got lots of good uh, commentary, uh, both live on the show as well as after the fact. And I think we have gone through it all and, and decided on a winner. That's right. We got a winner, and uh, we were unanimous in our voting on this. And I'll let you announce it. We were unanimous, and not to not to take anything away from anyone else's contribution, but I think um, the with the with the best, most straightforward idea for how to solve all the world's problems, the coffee mug goes to Harvey for his desalinization ideas. So, uh, Harvey, um, congratulations on solving the world's problems, and uh, we have now, you know. Uh, to motivate you further in solving more problems for the world, we will give you this. It's kind of like a no, it's like a mini Nobel, I would think of it. Kind of. <laughs> Very mini, but yeah, <laughs> take it you know, do well. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I see we're getting the big yeah out there, and the, okay, so uh, congratulations, and uh, and for everyone else, we'll run more of these, so keep trying, um, keep keep uh, keep putting out your great ideas. Also, these mugs are now for, available for sale. Uh, for for anyone, uh, which they don't do with Nobel, by the way. Yeah, you can't well, you can't buy a Nobel. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an advantage we have over the Nobel is you, you can you can actually buy one of ours. So, 
so yeah, I think we'll we'll run that every now and then. I like the idea that you know we can provide a little incentive for people to solve the problems of the world. Um, you know, just doing our part. We'll throw a coffee mug your way, maybe a T-shirt at some point to uh, to anyone who's got uh, who's got great ideas. But the desalinization idea is an excellent idea. It addresses um, a number of things at once. It addresses uh, poverty. It addresses hunger. And we talked about the relationship between those and violence and just general technological and economic development. It's a, it, it's a, it's a great idea, and uh, it's one that, uh, that we're hoping to see implemented in the very near future. No doubt. So, there was that. Well, I, I want to just backtrack real quick and say I uh, posted some uh, pictures of, of uh, San Antonio and uh, trying to get them. Trying to get this put in the chat. Let's see oh, okay. if I can get that. All right. Yeah. Cool. Anybody? Anybody want to see two or three pictures of uh, San Antonio as of this afternoon? Uh, just click that link there, and it'll be in the show notes too, of course. Yeah. This is. So. You know. This is kind of the. We don't take any time off during the year on fast forward radio, but I would say this is kind of the uh, the more relaxed part of the year, right? We're not we're not lining up a lot of guests. We're putting uh, links in the chat room to share our vacation photos, that kind of thing. You know, it's just it's it's that time of year, I think. So uh, obviously, uh, Michael Darling hasn't ever heard the uh, phrase "Remember the Alamo." He's asking, "What's in San Antonio?" <laughs> well, yeah. uh, for one thing, the, Al- the Alamo. Is a good the Alamo, job. and uh, there's a there's they've taken uh, the river that flows through the city and uh, developed the whole thing in such a way it's incredible. It's called the Riverwalk, and, um, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like three or four miles w- within the city where they shops and everything else are right there down on the water. It's, it's incredible. And uh, check out the pictures I sent. You'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, well, Michael claims now that he knew about the Alamo and the Riverwalk. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, uh, the question is, why, is, why are you hanging there? Uh, I believe uh, it's a family vacation, right? That's right. Yeah, just having some fun. It's uh, not a far drive from, from where I live. So sometimes it's just. You were talking about, you know, they got the big uh, Six Flags there. They got the big water park there. Here we are throwing a little ad advertising San Antonio's way. If anyone's listening down there, Chamber of Commerce or whatever, yes, we are available. This show can be sponsored. <laughs> uh, give us a call. Schlitterbahn okay, so- and everything else down here. Yep. Exactly right. Now, we were going to talk about uh, the Olympics, and I think uh, that, that, was the, uh, that, that was the thing you mentioned rather than watching a movie that you had seen lately. But before we get into that, let me just say that uh, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil and Stephen talking about various topics in the future and how to make it a better future. And if you'd like to join our discussion, you can join us in our chat room or give us a call at 347-215-8972. So let's talk a little bit about the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. And this, for me, begins as kind of a follow-up to all my uh, video travails uh, that I've been uh, sharing my stories about this week because um, I was flying back from Las Vegas on Friday uh, and would not make it home on time to watch the uh, opening ceremonies. And my DVR has broken down on me. It's one of those, like, uh, it's satellites, so the the little... uh, card that you stick in there that, that makes it work has fritzed out. So they're sending me another card. But in the meantime, I got no DVR, so I wasn't able to record the opening ceremonies um, at the time or any of the subsequent broadcasts. So I've kind of missed them, but I'm, I'm guessing, uh, Michael, did you, did you get a chance to see him? Uh, it's a strange thing. I, I watched, but I couldn't hear. And you say, well, what the heck happened? In the Denver metro area, the local broadcast had pretty good video except no HD and the audio was lost for about 70%. Oh wow. So if you DVR it you would have DVR the primetime broadcast and you wouldn't have got it anyway because you would have had no audio you'd be like what my DVR screwed up. No no, the local broadcast had no audio. That would have been very bogus. Okay. So I ended up watching most of it on the web. Ah, okay. It was incredible, wasn't it Michael? Um it was uh it was something. I tell you, there, there's never been an opening ceremony for the Olympics. I, I, you know, China's got a lot to be proud of after that after that opening ceremony. But of course, the the lighting of the torch at the very end is the thing that everybody will remember from now on. Um, it's wire food taken to the to the 
the <laughs> ultimate limit. You know? Okay. Um, okay. Just to describe it, okay? They they bring in all these various uh, uh, Chinese athletic heroes, okay? And uh, they, you know, they they round the 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 stadium, and uh, you know, each gets about a fourth of the stadium, and passes it off to the next hero. And then the last one, uh, I forget what his significance was. I think he may have been a gold we- uh, medal winner back during the uh, when when China finally came back to the Olympics back in '84. But at any rate, he he takes the uh, he takes the torch, and the, these wires lift him to the top of the stadium, and then he does this pantomime run that looks so realistic. It looked like he was running in space all around the stadium. He 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 went around the entire stadium, and 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 surrounding him, going behind him, was the screen, which has got to be the largest television screen ever made which covered the entire 360 of this huge stadium. And um, it showed images of athletic images behind him and sort of a wave pattern in front of him. And then, I mean, when he finally got to the end, when he finally completely surrounded this, uh, got his run all the way around the place, uh, he lit the torch and it went, you know, spiraling upwards and boom into, into flames. And then, of course, fireworks go off all off throughout Beijing. It was absolutely incredible. I've never seen such a spectacle in all my life. And that was on television. You know, you can only imagine what it would have been like had you actually been there. Right. Um, just incredible. And, and uh, China uh, is really – I think they're using the occasion of the Olympics to announce their arrival, really, as, you know, on the – you know, they, China's been a big deal for a long time, but I think that they're they're saying that we're a really really big deal now. So, yeah, well, we we, we kind of talked about this a little bit over the last uh, the last couple of weeks. I mean, this is um, uh, th- this is China's uh, opportunity to declare themselves to the whole world with the whole world listening that 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 they have arrived and that they are. Um, not only a player on the world stage, but one of the top players on the world stage, and that they are uh, to be taken seriously. I mean, that, that's that, that's kind of the that, that's kind of the message that just kind of go China, huh? I mean, that, that, that's that's what that's what they've been able to put out via the Olympics. And um, we were talking with Will Brown a little bit about this last week. That's that uh, is a, the Olympics is a much nicer way of doing that than. Maybe a century ago, a country would have had that. That option maybe wouldn't have been available. If you wanted to really make yourself a player on the world stage, about the only way to do it would have been to build a huge army and go attack somebody. But but now China's doing it, uh, you know, economically and by uh, you know developing socially and, and and through a lot of different ways. But this is kind of the the, the big way of announcing it and the, and the big way of saying, here we are, um, we've arrived, we're China, get used to it, kind of uh, kind of thing. That's right. Uh, you, you, get that, you get that feeling from what you saw in the uh, in the ceremony? Oh, absolutely. Uh, how about you, Michael? I did. Maybe a little less, uh, you know, American in your face. We're here. We're us. You know, kind of thing. But no, no denying um, that I don't think anybody else would have approached either the the scripting or the choreography, the architecture. Everything looked and felt very Beijing. We're very China. I mean, it, I've never been to China, but by all accounts, they uh, it, it was a pretty accurate expression of the national, hey, we're going to do the Olympics our way. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I, I just want to uh, note, since it's uh, it's being noted in the uh, uh, in the chat room that it that we are on the three day countdown for CERN, and uh, you know what, uh, Stephen, let's make a note that we'll that we'll get into CERN at some point. Uh, uh, over the next 30 days, or maybe once that, uh, uh, as uh, OK David Ray points out, biggest single science experiment in human history uh, gets going. Um, yes, Michael, that's right. There were no big CERN opening ceremonies, um, but uh, CERN's about to announce itself to the world stage in a very big way, in a very different way, um, and it's uh, something I think that uh, that we're going to have to be talking about. Well, but we've we've talked a little bit about it on uh, the Speculist, but I haven't spent too much time talking about it on the on the uh on the program so maybe we'll we'll spend some time on that over the next few weeks well you know, back... when when okay. when we get visitors from the future um 
<laughs> when they arrive because, uh, you know, the particle accelerator has been uh, switched on, then that certainly will be a big deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll be creating our end of the time machine, and so they can come back to us, right? Or as Michael points out, uh, creating an alternate universe uh, where Meryl Streep was a diva rather than an actress. See how it all ties together in a very nice way. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I think in, in addition to all that fun stuff, I, there's some there's some major significant uh, uh, major significance to what's happening, and and we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to spend some time on that. But let's talk let's talk a little bit about how this opening ceremony for the Olympics relates to the idea of the robust golden rule. You had written uh, a really neat post earlier this week on the subject of the golden rule. And uh, talk us through that and explain to us how China fits in. Okay. My idea in this post was that um, it's an old idea of mine that, you know, cynics will often say that, you know, might makes right. You know, you um, if, if, you're a power, if you're powerful enough, then you, you get to set the rules, and that makes you right and, and all that. But I, I, I think that more often, though, being right creates might. And, um, and a good example of this is uh, the creation of the Internet and, and how that worked. Uh, there's uh, really the backbone of the Internet um, ha has sort of a principle behind it that be conservative in what you do. This is, this is a robust principle. It's a, a principle called the robust principle or also Postel's law. It's be, be conservative in what you do, be liberal in what you accept from others. And the idea there is that uh, when you're, you know, you're writing software or whatever for a router or whatever, that you make sure that what you send out can be read by everybody, but then you try to write the receiving end of the software to be able to accept everybody. And so you, by being conservative in, in how you send information out, but very liberal in how you accept information that comes in, you end up being able to uh, pass, pass off information very well, and that, that has created the robustness of the Internet. But, but the openness of the Internet goes beyond that and in the, the sense that, um, you know, basically it was not a closed system like, say, CompuServe or... Prodigy, or what, what were some of the other ones in the early days? You know, I, you uh, I was on a I was on a service called Delphi. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, and, and those, uh, there were a number of others. Yeah, absolutely, and but those have sort of gone by the wayside, uh, right? And and I think the reason for that is uh, another principle that uh, the the value of a telecommunication net, the network is proportional basically to the to the size the, the number of connections and so if you're completely open then you're going to grow faster and therefore become uh, become the the default standard basically and the other systems basically dropped out then so you're, what you're so left with is explain, explain to me uh, just just so we just so we get it how is the internet more uh, forgiving or, or um, more, I'm sorry, the conservative going out and liberal coming in than, say, CompuServe was? Well, in order to be a part of the CompuServe network, you had to, you know, um, you, you had you had to pay money to CompuServe and you had, and you got, and you were part of then the CompuServe network. Um, or Delphi or any of these other networks, but they didn't talk with one another. And right. uh, I guess the Internet got an early uh, uh, boost, you know, I, because, you know, a lot of these other systems would attempt to use the Internet, um, you know, once, particularly once it got big enough. But, you know, if you were on the Internet, you could talk to everybody else that was on the Internet. And, but CompuServe, you know, these were these small companies, and you you would tend to have to log in, and a lot of times there, there were dial-in uh, numbers that were long distance and things like that. It just didn't work as well. Right. I, I, I don't know that I'm explaining it well enough. You probably have a well, I, but, I, but I think the bottom line is it, 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 the internet is a completely open system. It's a, it's an open set of standards. So if um, if if you hook into that network, you're just hooked in. Yeah, you know, there's there's right. no fees to pay. There's you know right there's I mean you're 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 still paying for the electricity and the you know whatever that networking access is or something like that. But 
But something like CompuServe was like an overlay on top of existing infrastructure, and most people were using phone dial-up for that. Um, so it was it, it was uh, limiting access was its driving principle, as opposed right. to the internet, where opening access is the is the driving principle. Is that the is that is that a fair way to break that down? That is fair, and that also brings us to how this ties in with China. Um, okay. China uh, wants to be a big deal, and I'm excited for them to be a big deal. I'd like for China to be a big deal, but I think that the ultimate way for them to, you know, really step onto the world stage, if that's what they want to do, is they, they need to open themselves up. They need to uh, stop being afraid of the freedom of their people. They need to have open elections, and they, you know, and I'm not necessarily saying they need to be uh, America, you know, all over again. They, they need to be China, but they they need to allow more freedom for their uh, for their people. And to the extent that China has been able to step onto the world stage in the last few years is because they've allowed more freedom. But they need to they need to uh, continue that process and keep it moving forward. We got I had a really good comment in that post that I was writing about the robust uh, uh, golden rule, and basically it was saying that you know the ruling the, the powers to be the reason it hasn't happened is the powers to be are uh, don't want to lose their privileged status. And I, I completely agree. Um, you know, um, you know, but there's there's a process they could go through. They could build for themselves golden parachutes and still keep the process moving forward. You know, they could. You know. Uh, yeah, there's, and, there's, there's there's a whole problem about how you transition out of a, a strictly authoritarian government. And and here's here's an interesting. Uh, let's let's do a little parallel comparison here on the. Geopolitical stage. Look at uh, look at China's neighbor, Russia. Right. Did right. manage to uh, successfully um, successfully cast off the, uh, the 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 communist system, provided uh, economic freedom uh, to their people. Uh, then, to a certain extent, um, actual social, civil, political freedom to their people. And then uh, step sharply away from that. I think everybody would have to agree at this point that they that they have moved distinctly away from that. And uh, yeah. their behavior this is a, this is a particularly bad week for them right now. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, a worse week for Georgia, I would I would say. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that um, that yeah they, they they have they have stepped sharply away from that and and kind of. Uh, kind of moved in the other direction. And in fact, when you think about making a big play on the world stage, how interesting to compare the big play that China's making on the world stage with its uh, hosting of the Olympics and its, you know, this is kind of its debut party, right, out, out, in, out into the, uh, the, the world of the 21st century. Compare what, you know, its actions on the world stage with its neighbor Russia's, Russia's actions on, on the world stage. So I think, you know, w one of the things that you want to make sure happens is that, um, as things are opened up, um, that, they, that they really are opened up, and that uh, at some point you've got um, the kind of infrastructure that you need to, to keep things moving in the right direction, that you, that you get to where you have true rule of law, which I don't think, uh, having, having spent a significant amount of time in Russia in the uh, early, mid-'90s, I don't think they got to that point. And, and I think that's what, you know, they, they gobbled up the idea of the market economy, um, but they didn't really embrace the idea of uh, political freedom. They didn't really embrace the idea of um, a, a non-corrupt um, civil society. And so, and so uh, what you have now is, you know, kind of a reversion to the authoritarian state. And, you know, just, just a real unfortunate state of affairs. So you look at China and you say, yeah, they, they really need to open up. But you would certainly not want to see it go in this direction, right? I mean, that would be just the worst thing of all. Right, right. You know, if if, if uh, rushing to open up uh, uh, leads to something like what's happened in Russia, then by all means, take your time. You know, uh, but yeah, one one hopes that they'll continue to move forward and uh, um, and, and and you know step onto the world stage by opening up. And yeah, not, and yeah. not continue, you know, allowing their people to travel would be a nice step, and you know, more than they are allowed to now, and and uh, um, you know, having elections of some sort. That, I think you know, there's there's much that they could do uh, to uh, to open up, and and so I hope that they'll continue to do so.
just get rid of that whole bureaucracy of people enforcing uh, restrictions on Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> enforcing restrictions on the Internet. I mean, just let it go, right? It, when when yeah. they start letting some of that stuff go, I think things are uh, – Things are things are going to be moving in the right direction. I note that uh, in the chat room, okay, David Ray says that there's an interesting contrast between the debuts of Russia and China. Both countries have a groundswell of national support for their for their particular displays. In the case of China, with the Olympics; in the case of Russia, with their military display. And that's true. Uh, the Russian the Russian people are very much behind the shift to authoritarianism, and I think it's important to note that that there that there has been a lot of popular support for that. Um, but the tone is very different, and I think that. Um, in the case of Russia, um, authoritarianism starts to look pretty good after, you know, you give people enough chaos for long enough, and somebody who can come in and, and straighten things out and make you feel good about your country it starts to look pretty good. And I, and I think that, that probably that has a lot to do with uh, with Putin's popularity there. Well, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about various topics related to the future, talking a little bit about the golden rule. We've got some other Topics we'll be getting into a little bit later, but if you'd like to join us, if you have a comment on any of these subjects, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972, join us on the air, or you can join us in our live chat. Either way, we'd be happy to hear from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, where does that leave us with the, with the golden rule? Do we see this as kind of an evolutionary optima for human civilization? Do we think it's inevitable? that uh, human society will will evolve around uh, open systems, um, or is it something that, um, that that we have to struggle for and it could go either way? What, what's your prediction of the future? Well, it's not inevitable, as Russia shows us, you know. Um, you, you can always fall backwards. But the thing is, I believe that openness and uh, doing the right thing and, you know, the whole um, – you know, becoming an open society leads to strengths that cannot be duplicated with a dictatorship. Uh, they, they said about Mussolini that, you know, at least he had the trains running on time, you know. Right, um, right. Um, you know, but you couldn't go anywhere. If you couldn't get on the train and, uh, and, and uh, take the train to, you know, Switzerland, then what's, what's the point of the train being on time? Um, so, you know, I guess uh, openness is, is uh, you know, is, is uh, more powerful in the long run. It's just, uh, um, it, you know, if you've got people in charge that uh, want to, uh, you know, guard their power and, and uh, their privileged status, then it, it may be hard to step away from that. Yeah, I think so. But, and Mussolini makes a great cautionary tale, too, doesn't he? Because uh, here's a guy who had all that popular support. Il Dolce, beloved leader of his country, uh, and you know what happened to him in the end, right? So, oh, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, so uh, <laughs> running the trains on time, you know, only got him so far. I'm afraid with the uh, with with the Italian people, and uh, in, in the end, it, it did not end well for him. Uh, nor do I expect it to end well for, and I'm not talking about individuals, but any systems that uh, that. that exploit their own people. Because I think, if not inevitable, it is at least optimal, and that if evolution is allowed to continue in its, in, in, in its proper direction, in the direction that, that, that we've been moving towards, yes, there can be setbacks, but the actual direction forward is towards openness, and that I think we're, uh, you know, inexorably, slowly, painfully, and with a lot of stumbling, uh, moving towards one global open society. Um, and, and, yeah, there are pitfalls, and, and it doesn't have to happen that way. And, you know, we, we could slide back for a 1,000 or 10,000 years into something truly dismal. But I, I believe that that's actually the, you know, assuming that, that we can continue to progress at all, that that's, that's the end game and, and that that's where progress will ultimately take us. I, I think that it's uh, safe to say that the world is far more open today than it was 100 years ago. Um, exactly. And, and, it seems to be the direction of history at this point. So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic as well. And, and was more open 100 years ago than it was 500 years before that. That's right. So I, I think the trend, the trend has been in the right direction. Although if you look at the middle part of the 20th century, you would say the world's a lot less open than it was uh, 100 years ago, or you, you might be inclined to say that. So it's, uh, it, it's certainly not something where we can sit back and go, well, the world's going to be free, therefore, you know. 
let's have some good, cookies or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, therefore, good people can do nothing. It doesn't work like that. You know. Right. No, it, it it obviously requires all of us working together to make that happen, to to, uh, uh, to, to have those those means, to have those ideas um, come out on top. And I think – I, I think that the, the reason that they can succeed, they can succeed even in the face of uh, great hardship and great opposition, is that they bring so much powerful, so much, they, they bring so much power with them. Just just as you were talking about, you know, the the internet was right brings might. You do this thing right, you open something completely up, everybody joins it, and suddenly it's it's it is absolutely essential. It's indispensable. Everybody has to have it. It's it's something that. We, we can't even imagine doing without. I think that China has probably um, found that to be the case with uh, an open free market economy, which they made this amazing transition from a planned, uh, centrally planned communist economy to what we see today over a period of, what, 25 years? Not even. 15 years? Yeah, I don't and, know. And, I, and uh, now that the genie is out of the bottle, you know, I, I don't know that they could shove that back in. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they'd want to. You know that's the bottom line, and the only thing that might lead them to would be if, uh, if the idea of um, accompanying that with political freedom, accompanying that with with actually letting the people have the same kind of freedom that that, that we enjoy in the West was perceived as such a threat that it seemed like it was worth it to sacrifice the one for the other. And I don't think they'd make that choice. I think they're too smart for that. So that's that's my vote of confidence for the Chinese. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, did did we cover that uh, golden rule adequately, Stephen? I, I I had just sort of read over it. And I wanted to make sure that we covered that topic correctly. I, I believe that we have, Phil. I think that you know the point is that you know because the inter- I think that I was using the internet there as a uh, as a picture of how openness ruled over the other competing systems, and how I hope that that's the path that uh, China ultimately uses. So yeah, I think the point's been made. Okay. All right. Well, because I could keep talking in circles around it all night, but uh, we've got we got a couple other things that uh, that we want to get to. Michael, were there any other thoughts from from our chat room on that subject? Uh, Matt makes Matt made a good point that um, <clears throat> I think in in looking at Russia, any shift back towards less openness and more author, authoritarian regime or more central planning, if you will, um, might feel natural for the people that grew up. In that, um, just even if, if you don't, as long as you don't go too far back, I would add to that. Right. Yeah, I think there's there's an older generation there that uh, um, uh, that 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 definitely probably does seem like uh, a familiar, very comfortable thing. Um, where you know, b- back in Soviet days, you at least knew where your paycheck wasn't much, but you at least knew where it was coming from. Um, and I, you know, I, I think I think there's an aspect of that, an aspect of a uh, younger generation who've known nothing but just kind of crazy chaos this whole time. And if, uh, <laughs> you know, if if, if they've got a uh, a strong national leader that they feel like they can uh, take pride in, then you know, why why wouldn't they, uh, you know, why why wouldn't they in, invest in that? It's it, it comes back to the idea we talked a little bit about last week about. Um, how many options are available to you? And, uh, you know, China has made a lot more options available to its people. Russia made some more options available to its people. But it's the, uh, it, it's the ideas that – it's the options that uh, maybe people have that they don't realize they have that, that, might be, uh, that, that might be holding them back. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be kind of a, a long, hard road for Russia. But I hope not. I, I hope they can turn things around and, uh, and, and get back on uh, – get back on track. Well, I'm going to shift gears now, and we're going to talk about something completely different. We're going to take a little journey into the unknown with a little feature that we run once in a while, a little something that we like to call... I didn't know if I wound up to that one enough or not, Stephen. Too. I guess I did. Um, that's pretty good. Um, I've got a fun one tonight for Tales of the Paranormal because I was torn, as I have been with a couple of these lately, uh, whether I should make this a Tales of the Paranormal or an Astounding Science Facts. 
Um, and this is something that uh, lies, I think, somewhere south of astounding science facts. But if we get more evidence, uh, if we get more information on it and it starts to pan out, it could actually push us in that direction. And if it does, it will be a truly astounding science fact. And I refer to um, an email on uh, Jerry Pornell's website um, on the subject of precognition. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It's, it's not that long. Mr. Pornell. Yesterday, I saw a cable TV show on mental abilities. The person was trying to figure out how a good fighter pilot was better than a poor fighter pilot, even when both had the same level of training. He had a brainstorm and thought, is it possible that the good pilots can see a short distance into the future? Kind of like the movie Next, but only a few seconds. So how to test for this? His test process was as follows. He had a random slideshow of both emotional pictures, babies, angry dogs, etc., and non-emotional pictures, like random patterns or a smooth lake shore, generated by a computer. So the person would view the pictures when connected to a lie detector. And he then plotted the responses, uh, skin conduction and stuff, I guess pulse and uh, you know, all, all that stuff that, the, that they check on a polygraph, for the emotional responses that the pictures uh, drew from, from the people looking at them. And... Um, so for the, motion, the non emotional pictures on a graph versus time. Okay, so you're looking at, um, you know, somebody sees an emotional picture, it spikes. And the next one's emotional, it stays up there. And the next one's emotional, it stays up there. And the next one's really boring, and it goes down. So we tracked this curve of the responses that people had to these pictures. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, he did this again and again for each subject. As expected, the two average curves over many pictures were very different, with the emotional pictures causing many stronger changes to the test point results than the blind pictures. The thing he found very strange was, for at least some subjects, while the two curves lay essentially right on top of each other at the start and for several seconds into the test prior to the time of the picture being displayed, the divergence between the curves started a few seconds prior to the picture of the given type being shown, which is another way of saying... Uh, some people were having their emotional spike or their emotional calm down a little too early uh, based on the picture they, that they were currently looking at. Uh, the subjects already knew that the coming picture was bland or emotional in a way that was impossible unless they could see into the future a few seconds. It's possible that the picture mix wasn't random enough and some pattern existed, but this can be eliminated by never repeating a picture and randomly loading the picture file using some random number generator and then scrambling them again and again using different methods each time so that even the tester cannot possibly guess what is coming up each time. The tester in this case was not even in the room while the tests were going on to keep any bias uh, from getting into the results. If this works with ace fighter pilots, too, then no wonder they usually beat anyone else. Now, this is a rather simple test and could be done with virtually anybody, so I would hope that somebody else would either verify or refute his results soon, and then it's signed. Um, so this is really interesting, and Jerry Pornell responds. He, he um, finds it interesting, he, and he ends it by saying, uh, if I had to bet, I'd bet against confirmation of any precognition, but I would not bet the farm. So uh, I'm going to actually turn this initially over to Michael, because, Michael, you're closer to fighter pilots uh, than, uh, than the rest of us. You've had some experience in, in that area. Do you think that there could be something to this? Um, yes, and not just because of that experience, although uh, it's hard to separate <clears throat> my, my uh, uh, ideas and understanding of how we sort of do anything anymore um, from that experience in my life. But let me just say this, that at any given point, whatever we're doing is all essentially, although at very, very small increments, already done. We're already reacting to what's, what's already happened. And so to the degree that we do anything, we do it, you know, at a very, the very sort of bleeding or, you know, leading edge of the, of the, the, the time arrow that we're on, we do it right at the future or even into it. So to think that uh, intuitively, instinctively, cogni cognitively, we're, we're, somebody has, is slightly better at that, maybe slightly further ahead, I have absolutely no problem with. In fact, um, I, was a, I was a navigator, and one of the things that you both teach, and I was later a navigator instructor, but one of the things that you teach and have to learn in the navigation universe in fighter aircraft is that um, you are thinking uh, in front of where the jet is. 
so that what's under you right now really doesn't matter all that much unless it's shooting at you, and that's a different equation. But in terms of flying the jet, um, if you're not thinking out ahead of the jet already, you, you're, you're lost. So Yeah, yeah, that's you, right. You uh, have to be making predictions as you go anyway. But and you do when you're driving a car. It's just the difference is that when you're cruising the freeway at 60 miles an hour, it's a slightly different exercise than when you're uh, flying a jet at 600 miles an hour. Right. Right. You know, Stephen, what this reminds me of is we've talked a little bit about that book on intelligence, I think, in the past. Right. And the uh, author, his name escapes me, but uh, he talks about how basically everything that, that we think of as intelligence is about uh, prediction, that, that our probably our whole experience of consciousness is just this uh, mental process of trying to predict what we're going to sense when, when we uh, all of our uh, motion-based intelligence is, uh, is trying to predict where an object will be, where our foot's going to land, all those kinds of things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this question to you. Do you think it's possible that uh, prediction being uh, the, the key driver to intelligence, that, that we as a species have evolved uh, the ability to see slightly into the future, or some of us have? Well... I don't think that there's anything paranormal about this. I think what we're looking at is we've got a situation where um, our brains actually, the, the, the chemical basis of our brains and everything is actually a slow computer, okay? Right. And so in, in order to, to uh, interact with the present, we actually, our brains have to think uh, a second or two ahead. And, and what, what I mean by that is uh, our brains are guessing. They're making uh, intelligent, you know, we're making intelligent guesses all the time as to what the present is like, you know, from the past, basically, is the way that's working. And, uh, and some brains are going to be better at that than other brains. And I guess the brains that are the best at it get to be uh, ace spider pilots. And, uh, you know, or, oh. or, maybe they're, or maybe they're NASCAR drivers or something, but... Um, you know, the, the better you are at it, the, the, the better you're going to be able to act within the present. And there's also a lot of what we do and, what you know, the people that come across as really witty in conversations and things like that, a lot of it has been pre-thought out. They already have uh, stock answers to, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to situations already pre-thought out so that when uh, and they may not even be thinking about this consciously. This is, you know, maybe all happening within the subconscious, but it's there, and they're able to access it quickly to come across as a, you know, a great wit in conversation. Yeah, I personally have about six jokes that I use, so I have to keep making new friends because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, about. I think you've got more than that. You've got you've got plenty of ideas. Uh, we haven't reached the <laughs> Okay, well, may, maybe i got five jokes. But uh, this, is, this is Fast Forward Radio on Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about precognition, but you might have known I was going to say that. If you'd like to join our discussion, you can call us at 347-215-8972. Okay, but let's, let's, let's stick with that for a moment because, you know, M Michael's talking in the chat room about uh, being able to see what was it, 30 seconds in front of the, in front of the plane, which is uh, – uh, which is a which is a pretty good distance, um, knowing what's going to happen there. But, but it's, it's sort of like a good chess player can see perhaps further uh, more moves into the future, in a, in a good in a game than, uh, than than somebody that's a poor chess player. So, so what you're is saying that, is that these that in this particular test there, there must have been some pattern, and these people have just picked up the pattern. I, yes, I do not think anything. They are responding there. before the. Before the picture shows up, right? I mean, this is uh, right. You know, it, it's not. It, it to, to me that would indicate something other than just, you know, a, a good chess player who knows what the other guy's move is going to be, right? I mean, this this is uh, this is um, this is somebody who is this is somebody who you would think, having just spent the week in Las Vegas, could go make a fortune on crafts, right? Because yeah. Uh, you know, if you could if you could actually see just a few seconds into the future, you'd know what the dice were going to be, and you'd know how to uh, you'd, you'd know how to place your bets and so forth. But um, but but so so you're taking the um, the scientific here, suggesting that without more evidence, we're not going to think that there's anything paranormal. Taking I'm continuing here. Yeah. Right, right. I, I'm with Jerry Parnell. I uh, I doubt that they that they'll find that the precognition is taking place, but I'm not going to bet the farm. I'm I'm with him on that. Okay. 
Question from Michael. Aren't there some who do make a fortune on crafts, or is that all a myth? Uh, Michael, I actually have a system I could share with you, so uh, you know, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> actually, that's a good question. I don't know that I, I don't know that anybody does reliably. Uh, uh, you know, you can because blackjack or some of those other games. You you, you know, uh, there's a, there's a way to get an edge. I don't. Uh, a, a game like roulette or crafts, there's always a house edge, unless unless you had some paranormal power or. Um, some inside information about the dice being loaded, the table being at a funny angle, in the case of roulette, the wheel favoring a certain section. You hear about those kinds of things. But assuming everything perfect, there's no way a person could be a consistent winner in those games unless they had something like this. Um, but I, I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone anyone who was. So if you uh, if you are one of those people, give us a call. We'd love to uh, we'd lo- we'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah. So. I, I think then we're we're agreed that this is fascinating, but we're not ready to uh, we're not ready to take the leap into full blown precognition yet. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to see more evidence on this, and it is very intriguing. Um, if, uh, if if this were to pan out, it would it would certainly uh, uh, certainly give us a new way to look at the world. But we've got one other topic that we want to uh, touch briefly on tonight. I, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the the link on Instapundit to a piece by uh, Dr. Robert Zubrin, who has been a guest on this program, uh, talking about his, uh, his book, Energy Victory, and uh, talking about his plan for uh, using flex fuels to get uh, the U.S. off uh, foreign oil and basically make ourselves much more energy self-sufficient. Um, he had a response to the T. Boone Pickens wind plan, wind and natural gas plan that um, uh, that we talked about. I think it was probably about three weeks ago we, we made mention of that. Did, did you happen to see that piece? I sure did. And uh, Zuber was complimentary to T. Boone Pickens, uh, saying that, you know, he, he sees the problem. He sees that, you know, uh, basically what we're sending out is so much that uh, foreign Foreign, uh, you know, uh, powers, uh, particularly OPEC, could could buy this country in a few years, and uh, and that's obviously strategically a problem for this country. And Zubrin agrees and says that uh, uh, T. Boone Pickens is being a real patriot, coming out uh, and and you know uh, pointing out this problem. But then he goes on to disagree in the details, um, and we shouldn't really be surprised uh, with with uh, the plan that he. That Zuber comes out with it was it was the very same plan that he presented to us here on Fast Forward Radio. <laughs> right. Well, I, in fact, I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, Zubrin um, looks at T. Boone Pickens' plan to let's let's catch wind, uh, you know, in the middle part of the country, and then we'll uh, use the natural gas to power cars. And um, Zubrin looks at that plan and goes, you know, it'd be a better idea than that. Flex fuels. I just you know, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be surprised. <laughs> that uh, that that it uh, that it comes back to that. But one of the points he raises um, is that hey, if you want to, uh, I mean, he's not saying you can't get a lot of energy out of wind. Although he he, I, I don't know that he's persuaded by uh, T. Boone Pickens' assessment of how much energy we'd get out of wind. But but his real point is um, take that ethanol and turn it. Uh, excuse me, take that natural gas, that methane, and turn it into methanol make it a liquid fuel that will then burn in an existing gas tank rather than have it be this compressed gas that uh, uh, that's very heavy, that adds a lot of infrastructure, that's very uh, expensive. And uh, I was, you know, I was pretty much convinced by that argument. It seemed to me that that's a good way to go. And it, it raises the question, we, we keep talking about flex fuels, petroleum, ethanol, and methanol all running in the same vehicle. Is anyone doing anything with methanol? Is there any plan to... to, to Start producing it because we could be producing it out of coal. There's a lot of different ways we could be getting it, but you don't you don't hear much of anything uh, being done with that. No, I, you don't, and I, I don't know if that's because it's just not being reported and it's happening all over the place, or if um, or if nothing's being done at all. I guess we should try to check in on that. But I mean, I, I like what Zubrin says there. I think uh, I think Zubrin has a good point, uh, although it may be the same point he's made to us before and we've heard before, but. Uh, you know, he's he's pointing out that natural gas is not not necessarily the best fuel for uh, powering cars. Uh, you have to have a compressed gas tank, which is very very heavy. Uh, it's not so it's not an ideal fuel to transport. Uh, liquid fuels are just so much better for that purpose. 
and um, and and plus we've we've only got maybe a 10-year supply of natural gas in this country, uh, and we've got hundreds of years of supply of uh, methanol by way of coal, and so yeah, I, I'm hearing him. I'm hearing him, and it's and 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 seems to me he's got a point. Although wind power is not a bad thing either, so maybe. If everybody gets their way and Zubrin gets his flex fuel cars and uh, T Boom Pickens gets his wind power, then and you know and, and plus we get uh, nuclear power and everything else and uh, uh, and we we move also uh, towards more hybrid vehicles, more and more electric vehicles. Then you know all of these things could be part of the solution. And you know I've called electric the ultimate flex fuel because you can make you know electric power from any energy energy source. So. Um, yeah, I mean, if a flex fuel hybrid, why, why isn't that? Uh, why, why couldn't that work? So yeah, that, that um, seems to be the that, that seems to be the kind of direction we need to go. I mean, we're evolving towards the the electric car, which, as you point out, is the ultimate flex fuel vehicle, because anything you can make electricity out of, you can then power that electric car with. Um, opening up the options for what you burn in a uh, internal combustion engine along the way just seems like the smart and sensible way to go. And I really have to say that it seems to be and it only costs. I'm sorry, Phil. I'm sorry. Uh, it's it's it costs oh, Go ahead. <laughs> no, you. I'm really. Since it only costs a hundred dollars to do it, uh, that's another reason why it's, so, it's such a smart idea. Um, I was going to say the same thing. You know, it costs a thousand dollars to convert a car over to natural gas, and then it only burns on natural gas. But if you take that natural gas, turn it into methanol, burn it in a flex fuel car, you can burn ethanol, you can burn methanol, you can burn gasoline. It, it seems like uh, you know that's just a nice little tweak, a nice little improvement on on Mr. Pickens' plan, and it feels to me like the the, the two would work very well together. Now, I, w I want to um, just quickly point out that we got a, a an interesting link in the chat room. Uh, related to, um, I don't know if it's precognition or not because I haven't had a chance to read it, but uh, we'll be sure to include this in the uh, in the show notes. This is from OK David Ray, and the story is about the headline is Northrop scoops DARPA mind reader helmet threat visor cache. For one thing, that sounds kind of like one of those James Taranto headlines where he puts someone set up us the bomb. You ever see that in the Best of the Web? Where he maybe not. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I know what I can't, you're talking I can't, about. Yeah, I can't scan that headline and make it make sense. But uh, apparently, uh, there is some research going on into uh, into something close to, uh, uh, if not uh, precognition, at least enhancing our systems to be able to uh, to deal with the the immediate immediate future a little bit uh, better than we have. So we we'll, we'll want to be sure and include that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that link. That uh, that's right up our alley. See that one is. That one would be, I think, an astounding science fact if we were to uh, if we were to talk about that one on the show. So, well, I wanted, let's just play it. Okay. Astounding science facts. That seemed a little on the loud side, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think maybe the uh, uh, the, 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 now, now we know what the downside is to using the less expensive uh, phone system. Oh, we get the really loud, astounding science facts. Well, that's cool. So we got both, uh, we got both, both features in tonight. Uh, thanks for that link. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. So, what have we got going on music-wise tonight, Stephen? Well, uh, we've got, <laughs> we've got fun. With apologies to, uh, I mean, this is not a politically correct song at all. It's it's a brief history of pudding is the name of the song, and it's by uh, Jeff um, McGoogle. And it, it reminds me, to, I mean, if you like the Bare Naked Ladies, the group called Bare Naked Ladies, you're going to love this song. Uh, and it's an explanation as to why we don't have a unified theory in physics. And I, I find it as compelling as any reason I've heard before as to why we don't have it. And uh, anyway, here's the song. I hope you like it. So, so uh, let me just double check. Okay, so this is a Bare Naked Ladies-like song called The History of Pudding that explains why we don't have a, uh, a, once again, theory of everything kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Unified theory in physics and, and the title of the song. Physics, and it's politically incorrect. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a brief history of pudding. So you can, you can guess as to who it might be about. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to listening to that. Uh, thanks for that. Thanks to our... Uh, uh, listeners, both in the chat room and elsewhere, we appreciate your um, 
We appreciate your comments. We appreciate you being with us, and we'll look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night.